Folks, if you're here for the first time, my name's Tom. I'm the vicar. It is a great joy to be able to welcome you today. If you're online, hello. You're watching at home. So there was one clap, so hello. Uh, it's great to see you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to go for it. Fantastic. Um, if, you're a, if you're a student, hello. We've been praying for you. We hope you enjoy this amazing city. And I would say one thing if you're a student here. Um, one of the great things that God has gifted us in these seasons of COVID is technology. And it means you can watch online. You can watch your favorite church in California, and you can almost feel like you're part of it. But I'd say this, get planted in the city to where God has called you. Uh, seek its peace and its prosperity. Don't just sit and watch your favorite place online. God's called you here for a reason and for a season. So um, I hope it's here, but if it's not, there's just loads of amazing ch churches in the city of Sheffield. So we will help you find the right one. Folks, if you're here, uh, as you are, and you're watching online, you're thinking, what are we doing here today? We're exploring this theme of what it is to be an exile and an ambassador. Why? In Jeremiah chapter 29, there are a couple of verses from 4 to 7, where the prophet Jeremiah is writing to God's people who have been taken into exile. They've been taken from their home. They've been taken from their place of familiarity and comfort. They've been taken from their language. They are taken to a place which is no longer home for them. And they get given this label, exiles. And they think they're going to be there for two years. And then a man called Jeremiah, who must be really popular, writes a letter and says, actually, folks, it's going to be 70. And they're in a place. They're taken to Babylon. It's about 400 miles away or so from Jerusalem. They hate it. They've been taken against their will. And yet we see something of these amazing values that, that the prophet says, not only are you going to live there, but begin to pray for the city. Begin to seek its prosperity. Begin to have a heart that this city will change. And you imagine that their heart cry could have been, well, I don't want to do that because this isn't where I want to be. The temptation was for God's people to withdraw from the city, to, to live in the sidelines, to, 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 to avoid risking contamination from the city that they're in. But yet it's the exact opposite that God calls them to do, which is to inhabit the city, to love it. To seek its peace, its shalom, the whole of the peace of God for the city. You know, when we see things that are happening in our city that are not right, our hearts should be stubborn. Look, God, we pray for the shalom of God to fall on our city. And you see, God has, if you are in Sheffield, maybe you've come as a student, or you, maybe you were born here, or you're living here. God's got you here for some reason. Maybe the heart cry of Esther for such a time as this, that we are called to inhabit it, to live in it. God loves cities. I never knew this. I live, grew up outside Birmingham. Okay. I suspect some of you who are from the homeland to at least be with me. Anyway, that's fine. My dad is very happy because of Villa won. So who's Jack Grealish? He's gone. Doesn't matter. He's dead to my dad. And I remember distinctly, we'd catch a bus, or a bus, if you're from Birmingham, and we would catch the bus through the kind of suburbs and discover that God doesn't just exist in the suburbs. And we would catch the bus, and I'd stand at the top deck, and we'd sit at the front, and I'd pretend to drive the bus. I still do. It's a little weird when you're 42. It really is. 
People say, you've got to stop doing that. And we go through some of the more less salubrious parts of the Midlands, or particularly into Birmingham. And I never realized then how much cities are in God's heart and how much the church has vacated cities or, or not perhaps prayed for cities. And a man called uh, Augustine, who wrote a book called The City of God. It's based on Jeremiah chapter 29, which we've looked at. If you're a guest here, we've been looking at that through the summer. And he describes in City of God two cities, the city that we find ourselves in, but the city that is our home, glory, revelation. A city where there is no sickness, no cancer, no COVID, no mental health issues, where there is perfection of relationship, where there is healing and blessing. And Augustine says, we are to pray that the city that we see, the city that is our home, the city is our future. We are to pray and work for that in this city now. So we are looking at exiles and ambassadors. What is this ambassadorial call that you and I carry? And that's why we're drilling into Nehemiah. And that's why we're beginning to look at Paul's missionary journey in Acts in the evening. And if you've got a Bible... We are looking at Nehemiah chapter 2. I kicked this off last week. We had Bishop Rick Thorpe in the house last week. It was absolutely awesome. Uh, it's got a be- I love listening to Rick Thorpe. It's his voice, actually. Just love his voice. He's got an amazing voice. Okay, maybe you didn't listen to his voice. I don't appreciate his voice in the same way, but I do. I'm going to press on. Okay, so we're in chapter 2. And if you've got your Bible, if you've got a, a phone, I'm old school, folks. I just love to hold it, hold the book. Uh, We're in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're looking at the first nine verses. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was bought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Listen to this. Listen to these words. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. It's like an arrow prayer. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so they will be able to provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I'll occupy. And because the gracious, gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent an army officers and a cavalry with me. 
Wow, folks, we are journeying through Nehemiah. And it's worth just thinking a little bit back to the context. Let's think about this. It says at the end of chapter 1, I was cupbearer to the king. So remind ourselves, what's going on? And why is this passage really significant? Nehemiah is a slave. He's a Jewish slave. He was born in exile. He has, uh, his ancestors are buried in Jerusalem, but he's a slave. He's a very high up slave. Uh, he's a slave that uh, graces the palace of Susa, which is the Persian capital. And he has been picked out probably because of his character, probably because he's a very servant-hearted man, a man of great integrity. But he is a slave, folks. It means he has no days off. There's not much of a union for him. And he spends all of his days attending to the king. Who's the king? Artaxerxes. Brilliant name. We established that before. If I get a dog, I want to call it Artaxerxes. Thank you. Now, Artaxerxes, he's not really been a very kind man to the Jewish people. Zerubbabel has taken the first group of people back from exile into Jerusalem. Then a man called Ezra. And now Nehemiah is making a similar request. Artaxerxes has paused the building project. He has paused what's happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the epicenter of Jewish faith. Jerusalem, the very central place of God's presence. And he's heard from his brother Hanini that the walls are broken, the gate is hanging off. That is a common thing, folks, in the West Midlands. I'm not going to lie to you. The, the gate is burnt to a crisp. And when he's heard this, he knows that it is impossible for Jerusalem to be in a city because it lies in ruins. And he's in this slightly strange position because he's working for the enemy. He's working for a foreign colonial power that has oppressed and is oppressing his own people. And his job is to wait on King Artaxerxes to test the wine before he drinks it. Because if anybody wants to poison him, they're probably going to go through the drink. And Artaxerxes' father has been killed by somebody doing the same thing in the household. So it's not like he's, he's got, this, he, he's got a, a position of privilege and a position of power, but he is a slave. Living against his will. And something happens, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and it's not worth, I'm not going to go into massive detail again, but there is something that happens to Nehemiah. When he hears that Jerusalem lies in tatters, his call is awakened. You see, if, we are gonna find, if, we, we, if we're going to acknowledge that we find ourselves living in this cultural moment, as exiles. So, so what does that mean? It means as Christians, pretty much I think we could all agree, although we might have some, there may be some nuances about things, but we by and large don't live in a society that by and large, this is a generalization, that shares our values on the whole. Sure, we're based on Christian heritage, of course, it shapes our laws, it shapes governance, but by and large people like me who have kids, have my eldest is 10, we spend, my wife and I spend our time changing the narrative that she hears at school, the narrative she hears in culture in line with the, the, the narrative that we think that God wants for us as a family. 
Uh, we all have, uh, many of us do, if you're blessed to have these things. Folks call these cultural Babylon. They rewire our brains, actually. We live in an age where, um, where at every turn, we're constantly assessing what is it we believe and how do we function in this particular moment. That's why the language of exile is helpful for us because it locates us in the story of God, how God's people before have done this. How they've navigated being in, in places that don't express, where you cannot express who you really are. How do you navigate that stuff? And yet, it's precisely the place that God reaches out to Nehemiah. What happens? When Nehemiah hears about Jerusalem, his heart is broken. A man called Oswald Chambers, I read his devotionals, absolutely amazing. He said this, crisis isn't the call, the crisis reveals the call. For 16 weeks, Nehemiah is praying and fasting. He is aware of God's promise, of God's promises. He'll rebuild Jerusalem, he'll restore Jerusalem. And into that moment, we get this deep sense of call in his life. So what is our call? Well, here's the thing. As, 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 as Nehemiah, for 16 weeks, day and night we're told, prays to God, converses with God, God just doesn't just give him a job to do. God reveals to him who God is and who Nehemiah is. God reveals to Nehemiah his covenant call upon his life that God is good, that his covenant, his promises will never, ever fail. That Nehemiah is called, that there's this, this deep desire in Nehemiah is awakened to represent God. We all have that. In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we are called to represent God. Why? Because we're made in God's image. You see, whenever we are called in Scripture, calling always starts with who God is and who we are in response to him. It is never about a particular job that we do. It's always about who God is and who we are in relation to him as his children, as his created beings. And so as Nehemiah hears this call to, be, to, to walk in, as an image bearer of God, so then he receives the call to be an ambassador for God to Artaxerxes. And in the passage that we've read today, what happens is that Nehemiah goes into the presence of the king with a clear call upon his life to represent God to the king with a heart to change his role. For years and years and years, whenever I heard the language of calling, I always confused it with a job to do. So what's your call? Well, it's your job. Well, actually, no, there's a clear call in Scripture. It's always to who we are. It's always a call to become. The role changes. And what we're seeing in Nehemiah is a role is changing from being a servant to being one where he wants to be a cultural architect to rebuild Jerusalem. And so he goes in to see Artaxerxes. He's terrified. The scripture tells us that. His face, his, even Artaxerxes looks at his face and says, what is his sadness of heart? He can't deny, he can't hide the fact that he's so heartbroken for Jerusalem. 
his role as an ambassador kicks in. And he takes these moments. It's a bit like when you walk into the boss's office tomorrow morning. There's this moment where, as a representative of God, he steps into his calling, sends an arrow prayer up to God, asks him for help in that moment. That he says the place of his ancestors lies in total ruins. And Artaxerxes, who has the power to kill him in that moment for insubordination, bizarrely releases him in the providence of God, that God goes before him and releases him to go to Jerusalem with an armed escort and a letter for, for resources to rebuild Jerusalem. What can we learn from this? If we're living in exiles, as exiles as we are, I believe, theologically, Two traps we can fall into. The first is cultural confrontation. We can become defensive. It's threatening. Culture's changing, folks. It really is. One of the great things I love when I talk to my mum and dad is I see that when I chat to them. They are sometimes absolutely astounded at the rate of cultural change. They wouldn't put it like that, but we have some amazing conversations. So there's a sense in which we can feel like we're on a back foot. Because you look at the news, you look at culture, you read stuff and you think, oh, I just don't feel quite as comfortable perhaps in faith or expressing my faith as I used to. And if we're honest, in some workplaces, it's just not, we can feel like it's not a great idea to do that. It's not necessarily encouraged. So the second trap is cultural assimilation. So we just become like everybody else. We lose our sense of distinctiveness. But yet the prophetic call on Jeremiah 29 is that's not an option. Closer to home, it means the gap is the sacred and the secular. It means that what I do, as somebody who works in the church, we see as sacred. And what somebody does who maybe works in a school or works in Tesco, well, that's secular. It creates a gap. So right now in church, there's a sense in which this is the sacred. And when we're at home or we're at work tomorrow, it is secular. It means that religion is privatized. We don't express it. It's, it's encouraged not to express it. And yet we know that that is not the case. Here is Nehemiah, whose life in the moment where he's encountered God, where God has affirmed his covenantal call on his life to represent him, consecrates, which essentially says, the whole of my life is yours, God. The whole of my life is now sacred. God, put me where it is you want me to go. And so we believe that part of the call for us to the city is that we, as image bearers of God, are not called to go into cultural confrontation. Yes, there are times when we are called to prophetically speak out about the injustices that we see. Absolutely. We are certainly not called to assimilate into culture that there is no difference from us at all. But we are to embrace and learn from Nehemiah, who is made in God's image, who steps into this missionary call to represent him in every sphere of our life. God uses this humble servant, Nehemiah, this humble slave, in his place of work, of which he has no choice, to radically free 
or begin the process of freeing a nation. There is no sacred, secular divide in Nehemiah. There is the belief that God has placed him where he has, and God calls him to do something different. What does that mean for us and for our city? It means this. All of us, and as we'll track through the story of Nehemiah, we'll begin to see that God raised up every person to begin to rebuild the city. We are all called to rebuild the city in our various different ways. We are called to see our places of our work, which most of us spend most of our time, not as sacred or secular, but as a divine call of God for us to serve the city. Which means wherever you find yourself tomorrow, you can work on the assumption that God has put you in that place. And we can work on the assumption that God has put us in that place to represent him. And you might think, okay, yeah, that means I've got to go in tomorrow and I've got to be a good witness. Well, that does help, folks. Or you've got to go in tomorrow, earn loads of money so you can tithe to church. Yeah, if you want a form on your way out, Alan will provide the forms. No problemo. Absolutely. But your value, folks, is not just your, your ability to keep the church going with your prayers and your tithes. And No. The passion of God for the city is that, that we represent him. That we represent his character. So some people here are called to nurse. My wife will be out nursing tomorrow. Why? Because that's part of God's nature. Some people will be here to protect the streets and the police. Some people will be here to serve in Tesco or serve catching rats or serve in various different aspects and avenues within the city placed by God for the development of the city. So people, what we can learn from Nehemiah. He has a vision of the renewed city sent by God into the corridors of power to be an ambassador of him. Maybe God is raising you up into different places. You're not sure why, but you're to be an ambassador for him into those moments. Our motivation is not necessarily by money. We don't fall in the trappings of money or personal power or even personal fulfillments. Maybe we're called to influence in places but with our integrity and ethics, that we pay our taxes, we don't fiddle the books, that we have relationships that are healthy and we honour those around us, that we are called to represent him in that particular place. See, one of the things that we'll need to do, folks, is begin to rethink as exiles how we see our calling. All of us share the same call, to embrace the fact we're made in the, in the image of God, that he loves us, that he likes us, that he transforms us by his spirit to more, look more like Jesus. That call never changes. It means we love our neighbours as ourselves. Last week, Chris and I, we baked cinnamon rolls and we took the kids and we knocked on our neighbour's doors and said, would you like some cinnamon rolls? We're your new friendly neighbours thinking they're going to not open the door. Why? Because we're made in God's image. That's what we're called to do. It's one aspect of it. That never changes, folks. Not the cinnamon roll bit. That's up to you. But the call to represent him. The missionary call. The role changes. So what we see in Nehemiah is that he's... 
He's serving Artaxerxes as a slave. God changes his role to become a governor. God's called us to the city. Placed you wherever it is he's placed you. My sense is today that some of us need to hear that what you do is valid. That perhaps some of you be thinking, well, it's not kind of the church stuff. We need to break that in Jesus' name. To realize that, that, that God has taken us to places where he's going to use us for the expansion of the city. And that is perfectly within God's will. And if we're to see the heavenly city in Revelation, inhabit the city now, it invariably involves all of us in all of the places that God has taken us, that God has placed us, and God will use us. Let's stand.